Welcome to Menlo Church Online. We're excited to have you tuning in and joining us today. We are a church where we believe that everybody's welcome, nobody is perfect, and anything really is possible. Enjoy today's message. Super honored to get to introduce you to Carrie Newhoff this weekend. I want to say hi to everybody, all of our campuses all around the Bay Area. I first ran into Carrie years ago. Our church is going through a time of real important uh, change, transition, and he'd written a book about change and leadership and Moses, and we worked through it together as elders, and it was profound. I found out later on he actually went to law school. He's got a remarkable mind and thought he was going to go into law, and then God called him into church ministry. He's a founding pastor, a church known as Connexus, one of the most impactful churches in North America. He's an author. Uh, He's got a podcast that focuses on leadership, if you're interested in that, that has, I think, 10 million downloads, and knows the church and church leadership. And way beyond that, he has an incredibly gracious spirit. He loves God. Uh, He's come here all the way from Canada, and I hope this is the greatest welcome that Kerry has ever experienced speaking any place. Kerry, come on up. This is kind of a friend now for our church. Would you make him really glad that he came? Well, hi. Uh, My name's Kerry. I'm a sinner. Thank you. Thank you. I see I'm in good company. No, I'm kidding. That's not the way you open, right? <laughs> I'll tell you, you have this picture of your life of how you think it's going to go. And then it's how it actually goes. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's like the husband you think you're going to be and then the husband you are. And the dad you think you're going to be and the dad that you are. And there's sort of the adventures, the experiences you think you're going to take and then the adventures and experiences you actually take. So I've been married for almost 30 years. My wife, Tony, is here. She's here in the front row. And, um, you know, they say you marry your opposite, but that's actually more true than you realize when you're walking down the aisle. So I'm, I'm kind of an urban guy, and she loves the countryside, absolutely loves it, and she actually really loves camping. Now, I struggle with camping. Any of you enjoy camping? Wow, okay. I think, just so you know, I think camping is unchristian. <laughs> and the reason, the reason I think it's unchristian, like think about it for a minute logically. If God created us, if God created us as human beings who are intelligent enough to construct buildings and have indoor plumbing and heating and air conditioning, then isn't it just unfaithful of us to go back into nature into a primitive condition? See, John's nodding. He agrees 100%. So anyway, my wife loves camping, my kids love camping, and so years ago, we used to do camping as a family holiday. And I gotta tell you, I was not the happy camper. Like, I was the opposite of the guy who really enjoyed it, but I thought I gotta take one for the team. 
So one of our first camping experiences, we borrowed all the gear because I wasn't going to invest in it. So we borrowed it from friends. I really didn't know how to use it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in ministry. I have no actual skills. So I don't know how to put things together. And, you know, if there's some assembly required, I'm in trouble. So we get to the campground up about an hour and a half north of Toronto. It's pretty remote. And we start putting up the tent. And sure enough, my worst case scenario happens. It starts to rain. And I'm like, okay, we get to go home. And Tony's like, no, 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 we're going to stay. We're going to stay. So I'm trying to cook under the rain. Uh, I'm trying to keep everybody dry under the rain. The other thing you need to know is I'm a little bit of a neat freak, a little bit OCD. So if things start to get muddy, uh, I start to freak out a little bit. Well, anyway, it's just like monsoon city. And we have this thing called a dining tent. Do you know what that is? It's like basically a huge tarp under which you're supposed to eat. And as we're eating this somewhat soggy dinner, I notice that the roof on the dining tent is starting to swoop down and there's some rain collecting in it. And it starts to really, really swoop down. And I think this thing's going to come down on my family. So I say, okay, I'll listen, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get the rain off the roof. So I go under the dining room tent. I start pushing up on the roof and uh, not calculating particularly well, the entire, like I think it was 400 gallons, like Old Testament proportion flooding, falls down all over me. I'm completely soaked. The gear is soaked. I go into the tent to try to dry off. Everything in the tent is now soaked. And I'm like, that's it. And I'm, I'm, I'm really frustrated. And I said to Tony, I said, get in the car. We're going home. She didn't want to go home. The kids didn't want to go home. I'm just like miserable and fit to be tied, you know. And by the way, I'm a preacher, just so you know. Um, so the preacher, miserable, is driving his family home. And as I'm driving home, the conversation is not going particularly well. And uh, I said, I just want to get home. I want to get dry. And as we pull into our neighborhood, I realize I can't go home because there's a Bible study going on at our house. And I thought, oh, isn't this ironic? You know, you have a fuming pastor who can't go home and show his congregation how upset he is. So we go to a movie, and uh, <laughs> then we go home about three hours later, and we dry off. And, you know, I look at moments like that in my life, and I'm like, wow. First of all, camping really is unchristian. And secondly, <laughs> what kind of human being? Like, I call myself a Christian, and that's how I behave with the people that mean the most to me. Are you, are you kidding me? And we live in a really interesting era. We live in a really interesting era where anxiety and depression are on the rise. And the more that I think about myself, the more I think about what I'm really like, the more anxious I get and the more depressed I get. And, and you know, you live in an age now, and this is so fascinating to me, where if you listen to what most people are saying, is they're saying, you know what you need to do, Carrie? If you really, if you really want to live your best life, you got to just do you. You do you. You do you. You do you. And I look at the inside of me, and I'm like, I don't know whether the world needs more of that. I don't know whether the world needs more of the mixture that is me, because anxiety and depression are on the rise, but you know what isn't? Confession isn't. Confession isn't on the rise. We live, we live in an age where people are spinning, and it seems the bigger the sin, the bigger the spin. This is an era where we, wanna, we don't want to show the world. Like Instagram has really made that difficult. 
Because you want to project an image of yourself rather than your real self. You want to project, you know, it's something like 75 pictures before you find the one that you can actually post that makes you look thinner and smarter and brighter and better. And you got to get just the right light. And we live in this place where it just seems that the answer to everything is mindfulness and you do you and you simply become the best version of yourself. And somewhere in the middle of it all, we lost the art of confession. And the older I get and the longer I live, the more I realize, oh my goodness, that is at the heart of what I need to be. And that is at the heart of what I need to do. Because you know what the problem with you do you is? The problem with you do you is all you get is more you. The problem with with me doing me is all I get is more me. And I've been married long enough to know that 90% of the time, I am the problem. I'm actually the problem in my life. Everywhere I've gone, every time it hasn't worked out particularly well in a job, every time a friendship has imploded, every time our marriage gets into a little bit of trouble, you know who's involved? I am. I am. I seem to be the common denominator in all of those situations in my life. And at the very heart of that, and it takes a very secure person to be able to go there. But you know what's at the heart of it? It's a core discipline that has been so foundational to Christianity that we kind of lost over the years. And that's confession. Confession. This is the first time I've been at your church. But I can tell you in the kind of church that I lead, it's very rare to hear public prayers of confession anymore. And instead, what sometimes you hear, occasionally in churches, often in politics, a lot in business, is you hear people explain why it really wasn't a problem and why they really didn't make a mistake and how everyone's really misunderstanding them. But the longer the li- I live, and, and, and the more I try to follow Jesus, here's what I realize. That you can't really address what you won't confess. You can't address, in fact, you won't address what you don't confess. Some of you, you're trying to help somebody in your family right now, and maybe they actually have a drinking problem. Or maybe they were clean and sober for a while, but they're using again. Or they have an anger problem. Or something that's really taken them, you know, into a place where everyone's saying, we need to do something for this person. And you kind of know this, but you keep bumping up against this reality that you can't actually help them until they admit they have a problem. You can't really help them until they say, yeah, you know, with the amount I drink at Thanksgiving and special occasions... (laughs) and the words that come out of my mouth, yeah, that actually is an issue because they'll say, oh no, that's not really an issue. That's not really an issue. See, you'll never address what you don't confess. And confession, I think, is becoming a lost art. And I noticed a number of years ago in my own prayer life, confession was becoming very thin and very sparse. And we'll complain to God, we'll complain to God about our marriage, about the weather, about work, about our boss, about our neighbors, about our friends, about our circumstances, about our bank accounts. We'll complain to God about it, but we won't take any responsibility. And confession is somehow linked to responsibility. And Jesus, who arguably is the only person who ever walked the earth who had nothing to confess, taught about confession. And so we want to open up the scriptures, and I want to zone in on a few verses. This is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. And Jesus decides to tell this story, because he's surrounded by two camps of people, as some of you know. One camp 
was people who just didn't go to church. And maybe that's your story. I know for a lot of you, that is your story. You gave up on church when you were a kid. You weren't raised in a Christian home. You had all kinds of stereotypes about what the church was, some of which are anchored in reality. But you decided to give Jesus a chance. And you're curious because Jesus seems different than a lot of the Christians you knew. And you like that about him. And Jesus had people like that following him, people who wouldn't be allowed into the equivalent of church, people who weren't allowed to sit at table with righteous people. And he had those people following him, but then he also, he also had religious people following him. And the religious people, the religious leaders of his day didn't like Jesus. He threatened them. They thought they had it all sewn up. They thought they had it all buttoned up. And Jesus came along and said, you guys are missing it. And so when he tells this story, he's got both groups nearby. And he says, all right, gather in, gather in, gather in. He says, I want to tell you a story. And then Luke does us the service of telling us why he told the story. And that's in verse nine, where it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. You ever feel that way? Like confident of your own righteousness? You ever have one of those days where you're like, okay, last week was a bad week. Yesterday was a bad day. But today I got it together. Like today I prayed, I've read my Bible. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm prayed up. I'm ready to go. Like I'm in a nail today. You ever get there? You ever get a little bit up on yourself? I've been there. Jesus goes, listen up. And then he says this second thing. Luke says, because this is not Jesus. This is Luke writing about Jesus. He said, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. That's actually what Christians are known for today. We're known for our self-righteousness. We're known for our arrogance. And we're known for our condescension. One of the counselors I've seen over the years, he has this term, I don't know whether it originated with him, but he calls it comparagance. And it's an arrogance based on comparison. And see if you don't do this, but like almost, it's, it's almost so baked into human existence today, you just compare yourself to everybody. You're on the freeway and what are you thinking? I'm a better driver than he is. That's what you're thinking, right? Which may actually be true. Or like, oh, you went to what school? And in the back of your mind, you won't say it out loud. I went to a better school. And you start looking around and you realize you're comparing yourself to others. And you think, well, I'm thinner than or smarter than or better than or richer than or poorer than or heavier. It's a, it's a form of comparagance. And what you're trying to do, what most of us do is, yeah, okay, she may be smarter, she may be thinner, she may be more successful, he may have this, he may drive a better car, he may have a better job, things may have worked out for him. But then you try to find somebody that you're better than to make yourself feel better. If you've ever done that, and I've done that, Jesus said, so if you're confident of your own righteousness and you look down on everybody, listen in. And Luke says, Jesus told this parable to them. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. One a church person, the other a drug dealer. 
One, a religious leader, and the other, a pimp, is basically what Jesus is saying. One, an outcast, and one who claims to speak for God. The Pharisee being the establishment, the tax collector being the outcast. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. This is so interesting. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. It's kind of ugly when you get it out there, but, but I've heard prayers like that. I've been to prayer meetings. God, I thank you that we're so blessed. I thank you that we're so safe. I thank you that we live in such a great country. I thank you that we're so privileged. I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this like, tax collector over there. We don't know how he got in, but I'm, I th- I'm thankful that I'm not like him. I fast twice a week, and did you see what I dropped in the offering plate? I give a tenth of what I get, just like you said. It's the end of his prayer. But the tax collector... The outcast stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He's not going, hey God, it's me again. He won't even look up. And he beat his breast, a sign of mourning, and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, that this man, Jesus said, the tax collector, rather than the other, the religious guy, went home justified before God. You know, I had a dream last night, like literally last night. And I was preaching, not at this church, but at my home church. But you know how dreams are? They're always scrambled eggs. And it wasn't really my church, but it was sort of my church, but not really and we were in a portable location, even though we have a permanent location. And I got up there, and I think this is the fear of every preacher, at least it's my fear, is I got up there, I got on the stage, I had my microphone, the band was winding down, and uh, I recognized some of the people, you know, it's a dream, it's real, but not real. And I got up there, and I had nothing to say. And I just stood up there as a preacher, and I went, I got nothing. And I walked off the stage. And when I woke up, I thought, that's pretty much it, isn't it? I got nothing. Like, really, what do I bring to this? Nothing. That if somehow you're going to be touched today, It's probably not because of something I said, but because of something God did. And if I have something to say that is at all helpful, it's because it's consistent with God's word. And I think God sometimes moves through us, and I think often he moves in spite of us. And you know, as a communicator, because this is what I do, I preach and I speak at conferences and do things like that. You want to be known. 
as a compelling communicator, as a funny communicator, as an engaging communicator. But you know what, at the end of the day, what, what I really have? Nothing. 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 You know what you bring? With all due respect. Nothing. That sin somehow stained the image of God in you. And then Jesus does this really surprising thing. Because you got the guy who's claiming everything in the story, who is really me. (laughs) And you got the guy who won't even look up to heaven. And Jesus says, you know who went home justified? It's the tax collector. And then he finishes the parable with this line. He says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. And the weird thing about the parable is that God seems to feel best about the person who felt worst about himself. And my guess is, some of you, that's exactly how you feel about yourself. Is you've tried to do you, you've tried to be the best version of yourself. You got up today and said, today's going to be different. It's going to be a great day. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to yell at the kids. I'm not going to make the mistakes I always make, but you did. And Jesus says, you're in good company. You came to the right place. That if you won't look up to heaven, that somehow heaven is still looking up to you. Down on you. With you. And Jesus says in the strangest paradox, that text collector, he is closer to the kingdom of God than he realizes. And the Pharisee, the righteous guy, the guy who's full of himself, he's way further away than he thinks. And so if you're about to give up on yourself, just know Jesus would say, oh, no, no, no. We haven't given up on you. I haven't given up on you. In fact, You're closer than you think. The kingdom of God is nearer than you think. But you know how I get to that place? Because I can easily be the guy who thinks, well, at least I'm better than, or I'm better than, or this did that. It's confession. It's confession. The tax collector knew what he brought. And Jesus said, we can work with that. And the righteous guy, the Pharisee, he had nothing to confess because everything was awesome. So what do you do with that? Well, the obviously take, take away, the obvious takeaway is confess. What do you need to confess? But I want to suggest a slightly different twist on it. And this one's really hard for me. Think about this. You almost never sin alone. You ever notice that? You never sin alone. Usually it involves somebody else. There was someone else you had the fight with, somebody else that things got out of control with, somebody else you lost your temper with, somebody else you got into trouble with. So you don't sin alone. Why do you confess alone? 
Prayer has become this very private discipline in our culture. So if you don't sin alone, why confess alone? It says elsewhere in the scripture, you know, that you should confess your sins to one another. That's really interesting. Because I don't know about you, but when I start to confess my sins out loud, I get really uncomfortable. And if the consequences of sin are communal, shouldn't confession also be communal? Right? Because the consequences of my sin, they always leak out all over the people closest to me. They leak out on my wife, on my children, on my neighbors, on my friends, on our church, on our staff, on the people that I interact with. Interact with. And if the consequences of sin are communal, then perhaps confession should be a little more communal than it is. A few years ago, Tony and I were in Austin, Texas, and I was speaking on a Monday and a Tuesday, and pretty excited to get in for the conference, for the event. Um, But we have some friends in Austin, and I have a friend named Buck, and Buck had opened up a new church, and we said, oh, we'll fly in early, and we'll go to your church on Sunday. I didn't have a role. We were just going to attend, sit in the back row, and so we left our hotel with enough time to get to the church on time, but I hadn't been to this new building yet, and I don't know Austin particularly well. So I was driving, and Tony was in the passenger seat, and she was responsible for Google Maps, okay? And uh, she was navigating for me, and this is before Apple CarPlay. We didn't have Apple CarPlay where I could see it all in the car, and um, I was just getting a little bit impatient. Can we just say that when it came to Google Maps. I'm sure that's never happened in your family, but I was getting a little impatient with her ability to navigate and with the speed of the internet. And um, so I said, well, do I turn right or do I turn left? And she, she didn't give me an answer. She wasn't sure. And I got frustrated and then I got more frustrated. And then finally, I just reached over and grabbed the phone out of her hands. And I look over and Tony's starting to cry. And my first thought as a guy is, oh, great. Now I got to pull over to the side of the road. So I realized these are pull over to the side of the road tears and we pull over to the side of the road. And as I put the vehicle in park, I look over again and I realize, oh, these aren't pull over to the side of the road tears. These are, this is coming from the bottom of who I am sobbing. And I realize, uh uh-oh. And then I realized, we're not going to make church. And my friend Buck's waiting for me. And then I thought, okay, well, what what do I do? How do I handle this? And being totally transparent, communal confession is not easy, by the way. But being totally transparent, the first thing I thought of sending in the text was, Hey, Buck, sorry, man, Tony's not feeling well. We won't be there today. And then I thought, well, that is the meanest thing you could say as a husband. And then I thought, okay, I could say, hey, something came up today. Sorry, we won't be there. And then I thought, well, that really obscures the issue. And I thought, what do I say? So I texted Buck and I just said, hey, Buck, this morning I failed husbanding 101. We won't be there. I'll see you tomorrow. And we just sat at the side of the road and worked through it. See, somehow narrowing the gap 
between my private walk and my public talk was one of the best things I could do. And by telling my friend, I screwed up. Now, we didn't tell him the whole story. We didn't, you know, FaceTime people from the car that day and let them know what was going on. We kind of worked that through. And because I confessed it publicly, the next time I got a little bit impatient with Google Maps, I was a little less likely to do that because I knew I was accountable. See, here's the bottom line. You won't address what you don't confess. You won't address what you don't confess. But if you bring that forward, if you bring that forward before God, and you bring whatever you know, it's that thing you won't admit, if you tell the people around you, first of all, they're not shocked. They know. Secondly, they're going to draw a lot closer to you. Third, when you go public, there's a built-in accountability to that that's a little bit sobering and a little bit frightening and a lot wonderful. And finally, I think your heavenly father looks down on you and says, ah, now there's someone I can work with. Let's pray. Lord, we want to show up with clean hands, but I don't bring them. And some of us have been trying to perform our way into the kingdom of heaven. Disguise who we really are. But the people around us bump into who we really are every day. And so do you. And so, Father, I just want to confess that I am not who I want to be, but you are. And Lord, I pray that as we say out loud, maybe to somebody near us today, those things that they already know or already suspect, that we would be met with forgiveness, with reconciliation, with love, with grace. Lord, have mercy on us, and you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in today. We hope that you feel inspired and challenged by today's message, and that you can take it and apply it to your everyday life. If you want to keep following along with Menlo Church, feel free to join us on social media where you can find out what's happening. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next week.